Again, if you're able, please rise as we read God's Word together. This morning we're going to be reading Psalm 65. Here is a reading of God's Word. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. So far, the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, indeed, You are the Creator of all things. You are the Sustainer of all things. You are the Governor of all things. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray this morning that You would take these words and carry them to these people gathered here. That You would allow them to see Your abundance, Your grace, and Your greatness. Mold us. Shape us. Make us more like Jesus. We pray this in His strong name. Amen. You may be seated. Had the wonderful privilege of going on a little bit of a vacation a couple weeks ago, and uh, Heidi and I went to Chicago. We hadn't been there in some time, and it was good to be back. We celebrated 25 years of marriage back where it all started. We went to the places that we would go and did go. We went even to the church that she grew up in, that we were married in, and our boys were baptized in. It was fun to be back in Chicago. We were able to, to do some of the things that we've always loved to do. And without a doubt, Chicago, for three months out of the year, is one of my most favorite places in all the world to be. The other nine months, though, the weather's not so great, and you can take Chicago. However, being in the city of Chicago in the summertime usually means being by the lake to enjoy its refreshment, to enjoy its cool waters, and, and to just be a part of the movement and the energy of the city is a wonderful time. Each summer in downtown Chicago in Grant Park, the, the wonderful park in the heart of Chicago, there's this little thing called the Taste of Chicago. And it's not so little, actually. This year, they had over 1.5 million people go to the Taste of Chicago over a course of five days. It's the largest event of its kind in the world. So if you're doing the math, that's about 300,000 people a day. A pretty good crowd. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's tasty. It's expensive. It's hot. And there's lots of people. And it's usually a pretty good time. Psalm 65 wants us to imagine something like the taste of Chicago. Only bigger. And for all of eternity. In verse 2, David, the songwriter, declares that all flesh... And one day we'll gather around the throne of heaven. 
In his mind, I'm sure he was most likely thinking of a throng of people gathering around the Temple Mount. A a mass of people singing the praises of God. And this then is a psalm that declares the wonder and the majesty and the glory of the Lord our God. It's a psalm that absolutely oozes the character and the person of our Lord and God. And that's why we praise His name. Psalm 65 gives us all kinds of reasons to praise the Lord our God. It's widely considered to be a psalm sung in the fall. I know that we're in the heart of a hot Texas summer, but this psalm takes us to a cooler time. It takes us to a place of the fall where the crops have have grown all summer and now there's a bounty to be harvested. And the people that are singing this song as they surround the Temple Mount or as they surround the throne of heaven... They're giving thanks and praise to God for what He has provided them. His bounty, His generosity of what He has done for the people. It's a song of joy. It's a song of of a vision that wants to see this day coming. The day of harvest. It declares who the Lord is. But I wonder, what must it sound like for a choir of all flesh to sing of the bounty of the Lord? What must that be like? I have a childhood friend who is a drummer in a pretty successful rock and roll band. And when one summer he was in Chicago and he invited Heidi and I to come to one of his concerts. And it was in downtown Chicago and it wasn't just, it wasn't a huge venue. It wasn't in a small venue. What they had done, they set up a, a stage in one of the streets in downtown Chicago and they shut down, I don't know how many city blocks but more than like one or two. But as, as far as you could see, there was uh, people out in the streets coming to hear this band play. And he gave us backstage passes. So Heidi and I were like stage left, right? Looking out over this sea of humanity. And this band um, has a song called The General. It's a band called Dispatch. Maybe you've heard of them. Um, if you haven't, go and listen to them. It's a fun band. But this one particular song, it's their biggest song, their biggest hit that they have. In the middle of the chorus, the audience begins to jump up and down. And here I am standing on the stage looking at tens of thousands of people in downtown Chicago jumping up and down. It was nothing like I'd ever felt before in my life. And I get why he's a musician now. To have 10,000 people singing your song and the energy that came off of this crowd was absolutely amazing. This must be a bit like what it means to see a sea of humanity and to hear a sea of humanity singing the praises of the Lord and the energy that must be felt, the power from those thousands upon millions of people singing of the greatness and the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was incredible. And this must be what David is looking forward to. And Psalm 65 wants us to have that image in our mind as all flesh now sings of our Lord and our God. As we look around our world, do we often take the time to stop and look and see the greatness and the wonder of the Lord our God? Do we see His glory? Do we see the majesty? Do we see His provision and what He has provided for us? Do we take the time to stop and notice? To see just how it is that He cares for us. How He blesses us. How He provides for us. How He loves us. 
and how he satisfies us. I too often find myself not gazing at those things, but looking at me and saying, here's a hole. I need to fill that hole. Here's how I'm broken. Here's how I'm inadequate. Here's how I'm not good. Here's the things that need to be improved in other people. How they need to be better. This is what I find myself looking at. I see the ways and the areas in my heart, in my life, and in other people's lives that need to be improved. But it always comes out empty. Because my gaze is not where it should be. And I wonder if that's how you feel at times also. Sometimes we just feel empty as we don't properly look in the right spots. What happens when we go to those places? We find ways to fill those holes. We find ways to ease our pain and our suffering and our hurts. We find things to mask the disappointments. We find satisfaction in self-medication. We find satisfaction in all things other than the glory and the majesty and the wonder of the Lord our God. The wonder of the Lord who makes the mountains and the seas to quake and he fills them with bounty. This morning, I then want to take a moment and ask you to take a moment with me to just stop. And as Psalm 46 tells us, to be still. To be still and to know that he is God. To take a break from our weeks, from our hurts, our struggles, and our pains. And to see the Lord for who he is. For this is what Psalm 65 is asking us to do. is to see the Lord and who he is. To see how he is faithful. To see his wonder, his glory, his grace, his majesty in your life, in your family's lives, in your friends' lives, in your neighbors' lives, in creation itself. And to behold the Lord. Psalm 65 wants us to see exactly why it is that we praise the Lord our God. David tells us that we praise the Lord because as we break this down in this Psalm 65 in verses 1 to 4, we praise the Lord because he's a gracious God. And then verses 5 to 8, we praise the Lord because he is a great God. And in the conclusion of Psalm 65 and 9 to 13, we see that we praise the Lord because he's a generous God. So we praise the Lord because he's gracious, because he's great and because he's generous. Let's look at Psalm 65 together, shall we? I've beckoned you this morning to imagine the scope of humanity, singing the praises and the wonder and the glory of our great God, right? We, we, we have that image in our minds, I hope and I pray. We, we, we see this. But there was a fascinating, and there is a fascinating discovery that I came across this week as I looked at this psalm, this really wonderful psalm. I... This, Again, as I've said many times, we stand, guys like me stand on the shoulders of people way smarter than I am. And I was reading a commentary and some other people, and one particular well-known commentator showed this, that as we look at the first few verses of Psalm 65, there's something fascinating. And before we enter into the praise of the Lord, we must have a proper posture. We must come into the presence of the Lord in such a way that we are able to worship 
I don't think many of you have the New American Standard Version anymore, or at least readily available. But if you do, they're the New American Standard Version of Psalm 65 and a couple other translations have something really interesting going on in these first few verses of Psalm 65. And so this is what I want to point out to us. And you see in um, verse 1, right away, we see praise is due to you. That word do, do you e, is a unique word in the Hebrew language. And there's some uh, conversation about how do we translate this? How do we put the consonants together? And then how do you fill in the vowels? Because Hebrew is a weird language and there's not always vowels. There's, it's weird. So there's some conversation about how do we do this. In the New American Standard, the translators did something. They didn't say do, do you e. They actually put the word still. Still. To praise is to be still. In other words, to come into the presence of the Lord, we need to quiet ourselves. We need to be still. There's a posture that we approach the Lord with. So now, place in your heads again, in in your minds again, this throng of humanity. Imagine it's downtown Chicago in a concert of thousands of people in the downtown streets of Chicago jumping up and down. That, That scene, that energy, that power that comes off of this crowd. Now I want you to take that. And now they're completely silent. And they have the posture of Moses at the burning bush. On their faces, on their knees. We on our knees. Still before the Lord. Oftentimes when we think of praise, we think of worship, we think of standing with our arms outstretched, singing praises of the Lord. And it's a powerful energy. But it's just as powerful energy as a throng of all flesh kneels quietly in stillness before the Lord our God. Is that difficult for us to imagine? It's difficult for me to imagine because I think you know me pretty well now. I I don't like to be quiet. I I have nervous energy sometimes and it's hard for me to, to stand still. Now imagine throngs of people standing still to slow our minds, our bodies, to quiet the noise and to contemplate just the Lord, nothing else. To meditate on Him and who He is and what He's done and how He provides for us and loves us. I think that's difficult because the things of life are often too loud, literally and figuratively. We've trained ourselves to be busy, haven't we? We've trained ourselves to be busy because somehow that makes us important. If we say to someone how, you know, someone asks us how our week was, we're super busy, really busy, I don't know which way to turn. And somehow there's a part of us that says, well, if I'm really busy and I have lots of things to do, that means I'm needed, I'm wanted, and I'm special, and I'm important because I have so many things I have to do, and I'm needed in so many different ways. That validates me. Makes it all worthwhile. But here the Lord is saying, stop. Stop. And slow down. Be still. And just understand who He is and what He's done. We have so many things in our life that cause us to put our gaze somewhere else. 
the psalmist is saying, come in the presence of the Lord. Come and understand and see. But in that busyness also, it's easy, for, it's easy to forget verse 3. Because we don't like to look at verse 3. But verse 3 is our reality, isn't it? Look at verse 3 with me if you have your Bibles open. It says this, When iniquities prevail against me. Let's just stop right there. When iniquities prevail against me. What does that mean? David is saying, when sin has won the day. When sin has overtaken. The word prevail means, if you were to Google it right now like I did this week, it means to prove more powerful than opposing forces. To be victorious. So David is saying, when our iniquities, when our sin has prevailed, has won, has taken over, has victory over our lives, we are left with nothing. When sin has controlled us, when sin has crept into the deep and dark places of our hearts and lives, when sin has shattered the walls that we construct in an attempt to never let that happen again, you know what I'm talking about. When the guilt is too much. When the shame is all-consuming. When the hurt drives tears. When the sorrow saps energy in life. When iniquities prevail. The last part of verse 3. When iniquities prevail, grace enters in. We can't stop at the word me in verse 3. It goes on. David understands the reality is not if, but rather the fact that iniquity has prevailed. He doesn't say when iniquity prevails. He fully and readily acknowledged that it has prevailed, that it is prevailing, that sin racks our minds and our lives and everything that we touch. It has prevailed. But then, in verse 3, but you atone for our transgressions. It's here then our heads are lifted up, right? We're no longer on our knees, but we rise to our feet and we see the goodness and the grace of our Lord and our God that we are forgiven, that we're not forsaken. And it's here where we're not left to our own devices It's here where we understand truly what grace is. We understand true grace when we understand that sin, our iniquities, has prevailed over us. We understand true grace when iniquity is prevailing. It's in that very moment, not when we figure out a way out of our iniquity, not when we figure out a way to be better, but in the middle of the sin, in the middle of the iniquity, God's gracious atonement takes place. It's in this fact that Jesus took on our sin. When? While we were still sinners. Grace comes in the while, not in the when. Grace comes while we are rebels. Grace comes while we were far off. Grace comes while iniquity has prevailed over us. Not when we have all of our stuff figured out. Not when we get better, but in the middle of it, in the middle of our hurt. That's then what is truly amazing about grace. Grace doesn't wait for us. Doesn't wait for us to have our stuff together. 
It brings us from the silence and the depths of who we are. It brings us from the depths of the grave and breathes new life into us. And then David says in verse 4, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near. We who were once far off are now near. We who once thought that we weren't worthy or are not worthy, grace enters into that moment. And the cross rips us into the presence of the Lord. Satisfaction then looks like the presence of the Lord. Satisfaction looks like being with the Lord because of His grace. I'm not sure where or how the Lord is working in your life this week or today, but this I do know. If you feel like iniquity is prevailing, if iniquity has prevailed, fall on our knees and behold the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For He died died and lived and rose again while we were in our sin. Christ who takes the sin and the guilt and the punishment upon Himself and gives you life and hope. You see, we praise our God because He is a gracious God. He gives us Himself. But our hope lies in the very character and the person of the Lord as well. This then is the, this is the fundamental reason why we praise His name. This is most often the underlying theme of many of the Psalms. No matter the situation, the Psalms direct us to the Lord, not to ourselves. And Psalm 65 is no different. Here in Psalm 65, we're directed not only to His grace, but also to His greatness. We have in our modern world lost a sense of the power of nature. We only, I think, I only think of the power of nature when a hurricane comes and devastates cities or beaches or lives or, a, or an avalanche crashes down a mountain and, and takes life of some skiers or hikers. This is when we think of the power of the seas and of the mountains. But for the ancients, the, the, the sea and the mountains were a constant source of terror, of fear, of wonder, of awe, of uncertainty. They, they were afraid of these things because they didn't know what controlled them. So from their perspective, and the perspective of the psalmist and his audience, Psalm 65 is a testimony to the very nature of the Lord God. That He is the Creator. And he's a sustainer of all things. And that makes him greater than the ocean, greater than the mountains, greater than the sky. It makes him greater over the unknown, over the unruly, over the scary, over the wild. The psalmist declares the greatness of the Lord is the one who stills the roaring seas, the one who establishes the mountains. But the thing that strikes me about what the psalm declares is, is tucked away in verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. And I, and I find this fascinating, and I, and I hope you do as well. So here in this middle section of, of Psalm 65, the, the psalmist is asking us to see how great God is and how He is giving bounty to the fields and to the harvest and the mountains and the seas and all of these things and how He is the sustainer and the creator of all of this. But in verse 7, something amazing happens there too. God stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. And then the last phrase there, 
the tumult of the peoples. So he's talking about an ocean. He's talking about a raging sea, the waves crashing on the beach. And then he says, the tumult of the people. You see, even the sea of humanity, all the peoples, God is sovereign over. Over the last two years, our sea, the sea of humanity has been tossed and turned, hasn't it? The waves have been big. They've been unpredictable. And we're not quite sure what to do. When when and how is the next wave going to come? Where does it come from? We're not quite sure. The sea has been churned and the foam rises as it crashes on the beaches of our lives, our emotions, our jobs, our schools, our churches, our expectations. Many times we feel like the sea is winning, don't we? It seems as if the power of the water is, is eroding our very existence and we, like the ancient mariners, are terrified of what is to become if things continue on their rage. However, the greatness of God says something to us when we feel this way or when we think we feel this way. He not only is the governor and sustainer of the actual sea and the mountains, but also of the sea of humanity. It says in verse 6 that God establishes the very mountains and seas. In verse 7 it says that He silences the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. Friends, we praise the Lord this morning because our hope, the very confidence that we have, is not in the oceans or the water of the sea, the sea of humanity, but rather in the God of our hope. The world has not come off of its rails The sea's not lost its way. It hasn't crashed over the earth. The sea still holds its barrier. It still has its boundary. The Lord tells the Pacific Ocean how far to go. He tells the Gulf of Mexico how far to go. He tells the Atlantic Ocean how far to go. And He tells the ocean, the sea of humanity, how far to go. He has not lost control and we're not wavering in some unexpected turbulent storm. He is control. He is God. He is the Creator. You see, because He is the Lord. And He is a great God. And this is why we praise Him, because He's a gracious God. And because He's a great God. We also praise the Lord because at the conclusion of Psalm 65, it declares that He is a generous God. So we've seen how the Lord's been gracious to us. We see His greatness as He governs and sustains all things, mountains, oceans, people. And now David concludes in this wonderful psalm, he says to us that this God, the God that we praise, is a generous God. In our contemporary times, in our circles, we we run away from these kind of images about God, don't we? We don't really run to the fact that God is generous because we think we're tiptoeing into the world of health and wealth gospel and we don't want to go there. We don't want to be heretical. We don't want to step on toes that we shouldn't step on. But you see, the thing is about false teaching is that they take truth and they warp it and they bend it and they shape it and they make it into something that they want it to be. You see, the health and wealth gospel, what it does is makes the gospel, it makes Scripture, it makes God all about you. And that's not truth. 
For what we know, and our, even our catechisms and our doctrine says, what is the chief end of man? That we all have retirement mansions in South Beach? No. That we all live to be 500 years old and we never have hurts and pains? No. Our chief end is to what? Is to glorify us? God. You see, that's where we have to find ourselves rooted in the fact that our understanding of God's generosity is to praise Him because of who He is. Not what He's actually, not what we have done. So to say that God is generous is absolutely, positively true. And He wants to give us good things. He wants to bless us. He wants to, to be, He wants us to, to flourish and to, and to do well. Because He is worthy of all glory. So therefore, let us look then at the conclusion of Psalm 65 with, with those glasses on, with that understanding. Their eyes gazing at the Lord and not on what we get out of it. So if we look at the Lord and His character, we realize afresh that indeed He is a generous God. Remember with me again the context of, of this psalm that David starts out and he says, all flesh will gather to, to your name, right? They're, they're gathering around the throne room of heaven. They're gathering around the temple mount and all flesh is singing the praises of God. The people are thanking and praising the Lord for His grace and for His greatness and, and now for His generosity at the bounty of what He has given to them. They've seen their crops and they've seen the grain and it's overflowing. I love the image that it says, um, in verse 11, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The wagons are so full and there are so many to, to reap this harvest that even the, the tracks are overflowing with grain and wheat. That's a bumper crop. And so they're praising the Lord for this bounty which He has given to them. But there's more to the psalm. It's most definitely about the harvest. But there's more to the psalm than just grain and wheat and grapes. There's more to it than that. This psalm is actually praising the Lord for His bounty of His harvest. It's almost as if Jesus knew what Psalm 65 was talking about when in Matthew 6 He says these words. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There's a bumper crop where even the wagon tracks are overflowing. And it's not always just about grain. David looks forward to the day of the harvest where the workers have indeed gone out. When the sea of humanity, the throng gathered around the temple, is so vast that there are not enough wagons to carry the load. The flesh, all flesh, will come to the temple mount. You see, the harvest that the Lord is talking about here is bringing people to Himself. This is what David's looking for. This brings us back to the image that I started with, doesn't it? Imagine humanity around the throne of heaven. Imagine those to whom He has called Himself singing and praising that He is the Lord of all, that He is gracious, that He is great, and His generosity flows to all people, gathering all flesh to Himself. 
This is what Psalm 65 is about. And it's glorious and it's wonderful. The generosity of the Lord is this very image then that He makes His dwelling with mankind. We praise the Lord because our hope is in the fact that that day is coming. I want to leave you with one last image then this morning. And around the throne, on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Imagine all flesh singing that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the Lord saying, Worthy are You, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. He is the God of all hope. And we along with the creatures of heaven and all the creatures of humanity praise His name. For He satisfies. And He alone satisfies. Because He is gracious. Because He is great. And because He's generous. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give You thanks and praise for who You are and what You've done for us. We thank You for being You. And how You love us while we are in our sin. Thank you for bringing us out of that and giving us eyes to see, to see you. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus, who loved us in ways and in means we can never imagine. And so, Lord, we do indeed praise your name, for you are worthy of all glory and all honor. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.